The scripture that was read came from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and the reading was from the first through the 17th verses. But allow me to lift up the fifth verse, which reads as thus. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The way to hell is often through a broken heart. This is so because in a state of utter despair, we often run to sin, which provides at best a temporary relief because of its transcendent quality. If people in this state would learn to run to Christ instead, then they would have the opportunity to experience the love of God in a way that they could never otherwise. Having somewhere to run or someone to run to in times of need is essential to being able to function and survive as human beings. Whether you're willing to admit it or not, we need each other in order to survive. You are not where you are because of your own doing. Someone helped you to get here, and therefore you too have a responsibility and an obligation to help someone else get where they need to go. So having somewhere or someone to turn to in times of great need is essential. But how do you determine what or who that someone or somewhere should be? What serves as the qualifier that would make that someone or somewhere worthy of being your go-to in times of great need? Well, to answer that question, I will submit to you that the most important qualifier is trust. Trust. Trust is the one thing that will determine whether or not you should go somewhere or go to someone when you find yourselves in a place of some calamity. And far too often, we tend to go to where we think we can trust as opposed to where we actually trust. And when we do that, we end up getting disappointed again and again. Trust placed in the wrong thing never ends well. So today, I'd like to talk about where we put our trust. And I will show you that there is only one place and in only one person that has been that is and will always be the safest place for us to turn in times of great need. And so I've titled this message today, quite simply, In Christ We Trust. In Christ We Trust. Let us pray. Father, we thank you now, Lord, that we have come to this place of trust. Your word says those who come to you must first believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. Thank you, Father, for being able to place our trust in you, 
knowing, Lord, that you only give good gifts and that we will reap our reward if we faint not. So speak to us now, Spirit of the living God, for your children all over the world are listening. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The fundamental creed of the church is that Jesus Christ is Lord. All churches that call themselves Christian are held together by this fundamental creed despite their cultural, historical, and geographical differences. This unity that Christ is Lord is expressed in the participation of the sacraments, both communion and baptism, which serve as a visible mark of this unity. So on the level of the corporate or Catholic, meaning universal church, the fact that we regularly participate in the sacraments is what the world sees as the visible and physical expression of our shared spiritual reality. You know that the church exists because we baptize and we participate in communion. It's that simple. And those that participate in these sacraments, each of us are called, according to the apostle, tents. We are all tents that have come together to form a house which we know as the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia. And each house or church is a physical representation of our heavenly house, which is also a spiritual reality. That's why the church is a building that is made without hands. The Apostle Paul says in the first verse that we read, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, because you can see the physical church, you can believe, you can have faith, and also you can trust that heaven is real. But not all people consider this to be sufficient evidence. The reality of the physical church is insufficient proof that heaven is real. So literally what that means is all the people outside of those who believe do not trust God. It's just that simple. So then what is trust? What is trust as defined by the world's standards? Well, the dictionary gives us three distinct definitions for trust. The first says, trust is defined as one in which confidence is placed. One in which confidence is placed. The second definition says it's a dependence on something future or contingent, hope. And then third and finally, trust is defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as a property interest by one person for the benefit of another. So, basically, trust is having confidence in someone. Secondly, having dependence on something future. And also, third, a property 
held by someone for the benefit of someone else. I know you can see where we're going. So, so let's look at each in succession because I think right now in our nation and in our world, we're having a hard time trusting the things that we see, trusting the things that we hear, whether or not it's on social media, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or even the evening news, it is hard to trust because one, there is a deficiency in confidence confidence in someone. There is a dependence on something future that might not be real and there is no property or anything at all that you can count on. So let's look at the first, having confidence in someone. To have confidence in someone means that there is something about the character, the ability, the strength or truthfulness of the person to whom you are willing to make an investment of your emotions. This is a sacred trust because literally you are putting your feelings in the hands of someone hoping that they will honor whatever it is they say they will do. So it's a sacred trust and it is often earned by someone because they have a track record of success. There is a track record of consistency of performance. Therefore, that person is worthy of the investment of trust. Now, in the absence of this track record, in the absence of this consistency of performance, many people choose to place their trust and their confidence in the roles that people play. So for example, a pastor. A pastor may not have a track record that you can say he consistently performs well or has a track record of behavior that says he is worthy of this trust simply because of who they are and the roles they play. A minister often becomes for people a symbol of our Christian faith in the eyes of many people, both in the congregation and in the wider community. And as a consequence, people generally expect their pastors to be models of integrity, and so congregants entrust themselves to the minister's care, whether they have earned it or not. Effective ministry, then, can only occur within the climate of trust. That is, only when people believe that their pastor will always look out for their spiritual benefit. And this connection between truth and ministry means that a betrayal of trust destroys the very conditions that make ministry, genuine ministry, possible. It is important that when I stand in this pulpit, that what I say to you is not only what I believe to be true, but is supported by the scriptures. I don't tell you what I want you to think. I don't tell you what I think you ought to do. I tell you what the word of God says. And for you to decide whether or not it is trustworthy in your lives and worth the investment. So, so to place confidence in someone really means, quite simply, you have to be willing to let that person hurt you. To place confidence and trust in someone means you have to be willing to let that person hurt and disappoint you. Now, the Bible makes this point in Romans, the third chapter, and the 10th through the 12th verse. Here's what it says. 
as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now, if this is true, according to the Apostle Paul, and I believe that it is, then why should any church member place any confidence in any preacher or any person just because of their titles, their roles, or even their track record? Because the truth of the matter is, according to Paul, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us will disappoint you at some point in time. All of us will make mistakes, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we meant it or not the intent don't matter it's the impact that matters all of us are fallen at best so how can anyone place trust in any person for that matter every person you know don't care who they are at some point will disappoint you if they haven't already done so on some level better yet haven't you yourselves disappointed other people so why should anyone trust you to the level that you want when you can't even trust others to the level that they might want? Hmm. So the point is, placing your trust in someone is faulty at best. And you are going to end up disappointed with every person, even with me as a pastor. You are going to be disappointed at some point in our relationship. I am going to let you down some point in our relationship. I may not mean it, but the possibility exists. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that is righteous, not even one. However, the Bible tells us in the third chapter of the book of Proverbs and the fifth verse, it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Psalms the 32, 32nd Psalm and the 10th verse says, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall encompass him about. Psalms the 118th Psalm and the 8th verse, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalms 9 verse 10, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And last but certainly not least, 1 Timothy the fourth chapter and the 10th verse, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These texts that I have just read to you are giving witness to Jesus Christ. And the testimony is that Jesus Christ not only has a track record of consistency of being there for you, but he is your rock in a weary land. He consistently brings you shelter in a time of storm. He consistently heals your mind, your body, and your soul. And Jesus Christ has never let you down. So when you think of all the people in your life 
Christ alone stands as the only one that has never failed you and in whom you can have full confidence. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Why? For in Christ we trust. The second definition of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary tells us that trust is having dependence on something in the future. Our text says in verse 5, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Did you hear that? The text said that God, God himself, who fashioned us for his very purpose, has given us a deposit of his Spirit, guaranteeing us what is to come. The scripture makes it clear to us that there is something to come for which we do not yet see. When people become believers, they become, as the Apostle Paul tells us, like a tent. And by being like a tent, we became the dwelling place of something very special. It is what Paul says is a deposit in us, which is the Holy Spirit. So for every person who believes, you have a deposit called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within believers. And one of the most important things that the Holy Spirit does in a believer is to change their identity. Here's what I mean. When you said yes to Jesus, you went from I to becoming the I, yet not I, but Christ in me. I'll say that again. When you gave your heart to the Lord, your identity shifted from I to I, yet not I, but Christ in me. It may be a little bit confusing, but I want you to get it in your spirits. You are no longer I by yourself. You are now I, not I, but Christ in me. The I, yet not I, but Christ in me is the construct of your new identity. And sin has a tendency to interfere quantitatively with this new construct. A lot of big words. This means that for every one of us, we are continuously reflecting on the amount of sin that we are committing in our lives day to day. And this constant thinking about all the things that we have done wrong causes us to constantly condemn ourselves and contradict the new identity that Christ has given to us. Here it is. Here it is, church. Stay with me. When you were before Christ, everything you did, you did good things, you did bad things, but you didn't feel any kind of remorse. Then you found the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. You now recognize that the old you didn't die, but there's a new you that is starting to emerge. You're becoming a new creation. Something is different in your lives. And the I, yet not I, but the Christ in me has now started to take over. And the things you used to do, you don't want to do them anymore. The places you used to go, you don't want to go anymore. And you have this constant battle between life in the world and the life of Christ. We call this the schizophrenia of the believer. It causes you to fall prey to disbelief and lies, which forces you to run to idols again and again. 
Yet you cannot stay in that state. Why? Because the act of sin is keeping you bound when you've already overcome the power of sin through the Holy Spirit. You vacillate between forgiveness and condemnation. But you need to fully understand what grace is. For despite how sin tries to keep you bound, you can always run to Christ who has better for you because of the I, yet not I, but the Christ in me. Furthermore, no matter how many times you may fall, you are still able to make your way back to Christ because of what has been deposited in you when you first believed. The thing that keeps you going back to Christ, despite your sin, is the awareness that there is something yet greater for you. Something that you can anticipate. That there is more to your life than the addiction. There is more to your life than the abuse. There is more to your life than all of the things that's not going right in your world. There is more to you. Why? For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It is the I know that I know. And this I know that I know. While you can't put it into words, it lets you know that there is something better for you. God has placed eternity in our hearts. So while the world may be falling apart, you can still have joy in the midst of any storm. And it is a hope and trust in something that has not yet happened, but that you know is your destiny. And this is why you can declare, in Christ, we trust. The third and final definition from the dictionary was that trust was a property held by someone for another person's benefit. Some property that's being held in trust for someone else's benefit. Our text again tells us, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. The idea here, church, is that God is holding property in trust for us. The idea of a house is very prevalent throughout scriptures, and to fully appreciate it, I need us to take a, a quick journey to Hebrew culture and history. When God called Abraham from the land of Ur, he said he wanted him to go to a place that he would show him. Abraham had no idea where this land was, but he went on faith, believing that and trusting God to lead him to that place. So Abraham from that time on and throughout all his generations followed God and became nomads, moving from place to place, without a land or a house of their own. Likewise, you and me, brothers and sisters, as believers, we know that this earthly place is not our home. And we, like those Israelite nomads, we're wandering from place to place, trying to find a, a home in these earthly bodily tents. And as we're moving around, pitching here and pitching there and pitching everywhere, we sometimes find ourselves in the church of God as a house made without hands. But we walk around knowing that this earthly tent is decaying and it's being destroyed. But Paul says, 
For we know that this earthly tent we live in is being destroyed. This body, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built with human hands. Stay with me, church. This is what we as believers look forward to. And it is a house that is placed in sacred trust by Christ's death on the cross. This is why Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you will be also. Christ is our hope and resting place. And that's what we are to understand when we read scriptures like Psalms 90 that says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The Lord, the Lord is your place of refuge. And that is the basis of our hope. Hebrews 3 says, Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. As I prepare to close, Jesus himself is our shield and hiding place, and it is in him we find our rest. He is our home, that he is the one that is placed in trust that we will one day inherit. So basically the dictionary says to us that trust is one, having confidence in someone. Two, having a dependence on something future. And three, a property held by someone for the benefit of others. This is what the dictionary says trust is. And all of these definitions, I believe, are true for how we can place our trust in Christ. For in Christ, we have confidence in his track record of never failing. In Christ, we know that he who has begun a good work in us is faithful to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. And finally, in Christ, he has always been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And he has prepared a place for us to go that where he is, there we shall be also. This is why we say, in Christ, we trust. Inscribed on our currency of this nation are the words, in God, we trust. But as I shared with you before, I don't always like to use the term God. Why? Because I don't know which God people are talking about when they say God. In fact, you do not need to look far to notice that the God that that phrase is really talking about on that coin is really money. So to make sure that there is no ambiguity when I speak, instead of saying, in God we trust, I choose to say, in Christ we trust. Yet, while the saint I feel in me is continuously being harassed by the sinner that is still in me, I must hold fast to the truth that this rebellion in me is not the truth of me. The truth of me is the union that I have in Christ. Therefore, 
if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me as a deposit, as the Apostle Paul says, then I cannot and I will not keep on sinning. But the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he truly paid it all with his death on Calvary's tree and was then resurrected from the dead, then you can take my word from it, which is backed up by the scriptures and that you can trust me as a pastor when I say to you that when all hell seems to be breaking loose in your life, Jesus Christ is your savior and Jesus Christ will save you from what is and what will be. And you can rest assured and you can literally take this to the bank. In Christ, you can trust. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.